This is The Guardian. Today, Victoria Amelina was one of Ukraine's most celebrated young writers who became a war crimes investigator. What secrets did she uncover? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Charlotte Higgins is The Guardian's chief culture writer. She's normally based in the UK, but since the full-scale invasion of Ukraine began, she's been travelling there quite often to speak to artists about how they're recording what's happening around them. And during a trip in October, Charlotte met an author called Victoria Amelina. I'm happy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, She told me about her life, about how it had changed since the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Victoria was one of Ukraine's favourite young novelists and poets. She'd written about the long history of Russian attacks on Ukrainian artists and Ukrainian culture. When the war broke out, she turned her skills of observation and recording to document the atrocities that are happening to people now. She became a war crimes investigator. In these kind of times of extraordinary violence, it's artists and intellectuals and journalists are targets because their ability to tell stories is a danger to violent, authoritarian and repressive regimes. At the end of last month, Victoria was at a popular pizza restaurant in Kramatorsk in eastern Ukraine. The restaurant was packed with people, families and groups of friends eating and chatting. Then two Russian missiles hit. Thirteen people died. Some immediately, others in the days afterwards. Victoria was among them. Her legacy will be in the literature she wrote and, pressingly, the documents and stories she collected from people whose lives have been destroyed by war. One of those stories of a war crime that she revealed will tell you today. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus. Why Ukrainian writer hid a war diary beneath a cherry tree. Charlotte, you got to know Victoria fairly well over the course of your reporting in Ukraine. What kind of person was she? Well, the first thing about Victoria actually was that she was incredibly beautiful. 
this sort of great sort of waterfall of pale blonde hair and a very sort of steady gaze. And she was extremely smart, a very cool thinker. She was very funny. There's a kind of seam of black humour that I think keeps people going in Ukraine. And she was a real exponent of it. I mean, looking back at some of her jokes at... It's pretty poignant because you can. She was sort of joking about the possibility of death, and and there it is. She had a real knack for friendship, I think, and so there are lots of people who her death has touched very deeply. I was listening to the recording um, I made of our first long conversation back in October. So this dilemma of uh, what you're doing. And it seemed to me that we started the conversation quite tentatively as relative strangers and then by the end of this conversation we we become friends really yeah and will that be translated i'm writing it in english hooray (laughs) (laughs) well you can hear that my english is not very well (laughs) i mean you know we we became very close and that's not just me that's the same i know with many many people tell me a bit about her writing she was a really celebrated author and poet in Ukraine. She won the Joseph Conrad Literary Prize and she was shortlisted for several other international literary awards. How did she make her name in writing? Well, actually, her career started off quite differently. She studied IT at university and worked in IT for a decade. And then she produced her first novel in 2014. But it was her second novel called Dom's Dream Kingdom that won many awards. The story was a kind of family history set in Lviv in Western Ukraine, which is where she grew up. And I think part of the project of this book was trying to make sense of the incredibly difficult, conflicting tides of Ukrainian history. You know, that part of Ukraine and and Western Poland called by the historian Timothy Snyder, the Bloodlands. This was the most violent place in Europe in the early 20th century. It sounds like she was keenly aware of the historical parallels between the Russian occupation at that time and what's happening today. Victoria was the first person to introduce me to the executed Renaissance, a group of writers who flourished in the 1920s, particularly in Kharkiv and eastern Ukraine, and hundreds of them were executed in 1937 in the Stalinist purges. Victoria told me, and she wrote about this too, that at the beginning of the full-scale invasion, when Kiev was surrounded and Kharkiv was being bombed, she just worried that this could be happening all over again in the sense that writers and artists would potentially be targeted. And I just imagine that it would mean for me that uh, most of my friends, because my friends are writers and journalists, etc., just like most of my friends uh, are dead. And how, how would I feel? When the full-scale invasion happened in February last year, I suppose that Victoria, like every artist in Ukraine, had to make the decision on whether to continue with their work in some form or to join the war effort. When we spoke to you for the podcast in December last year, 
You explained then that Victoria had chosen to retrain as a war crimes investigator. Why did she decide to do that? She understood that, you know, the novel that she was thinking about writing, it didn't feel right. There were so many real people and real stories that she needed to tell to help people understand what was going on, narrativise what was going on, and use all that truth (laughs) to help build a new Ukraine after the war. In In a nutshell, since the February 24th, 2022, I found myself looking for a better role to help the victory, like we all did, at least in, in uh, the community of writers and artists, you know that everyone is trying to be as helpful as possible. So I knew some war crimes researchers and I um, wrote to them and asked uh, if, if they were looking for more volunteers. Where did Victoria end up going as part of that work in documenting war crimes? So one of the cases that Victoria was keen to get to the bottom of was the disappearance of her fellow writer, Volodymyr Vakulenko. Volodymyr Vakulenko was primarily a children's writer and a poet. He was based in a village called Kapitolivka, in eastern Ukraine, in Kharkiv region. That village had come under occupation in early March 2022. And in April, word got out that he had disappeared. The last his family had seen of him, he'd been sort of hustled into a Russian military van with the letter Z painted on it and driven away in the direction of Izium, and that was it. He'd been abducted by Russian soldiers and nobody knew where he was. So Victoria went to Kapitolivka, which had just been liberated, to try and find out what had happened to him. I mean, she told me that she felt a bit bad that she was several days later arriving in Kapitolivka than she had hoped and that was because she was held up on the way by the urgency and importance of gathering evidence about these horrible places in Balaclia that she and others had discovered. The mission started on uh, September 20 but we only got to Kapitolivka on September uh, 24th and the reason to this uh, is we had a team of six people and uh, on our way to Balaklia, for example, where we discovered uh, three torture chambers. She told me about this sort of domino effect of going into these liberated areas and talking to one person, and then one person tells you you should go and talk to that person. And, you know, there was a huge amount to do. Ukrainian police lead us to a crime scene. For six months, the Russians were the law here and local civilians were at their mercy. Ukrainian investigators are here now, beginning to gather evidence about what happened behind these walls. And their testimonies are so important, so crucial, so horrific that you you just cannot stop and it's important to document. So yeah, so this, that is why we only got to Kapitolivka on September 24th. When Victoria arrived, what was she looking for? What did people think had happened to Vladimir? Well, at that point, 
Oh, it's extremely difficult to understand what has happened to him. Bearing in mind, in these occupied areas, there's zero internet access and zero phone access. Communication between occupied areas and unoccupied areas was virtually impossible. So it was only after the liberation of his village and the whole area around Izium, which was the local town, that things became clearer, at least, as it were, to the outside world. And Victoria went in 10 days after the liberation. She, with colleagues from Truthhounds, her war crimes investigation organisation, went into capital Livka and spoke to Volodymyr Vakulenko's family, his mother and father. You know, the, the sort of tragedy was that nobody knew still where he was. His mother had spent the whole spring and summer trying to find him unsuccessfully, sort of heartbreakingly trying to um, file missing persons reports, ask any occupying forces if they knew where her son was. Uh, Rumours were flying around. I mean, she was torn between hope and despair. So Victoria went to see his mother and father and also his little son. He has an autistic quite severely disabled son, and took detailed testimony of their experiences under occupation and what had happened. Uh, so the first thing uh, we went to Volodymyr's room. This is not the first thing I would do as a war crimes researcher, but I did it because Volodymyr's father knew I was Volodymyr's colleague, so she wanted to show me the room. They went to Volodymyr's writing room and spoke there for a bit, and there's a certain point, and Victoria, I think, said it was almost as if, in sort of slightly in passing, <laughs> said, and, oh, by the way, my son buried a diary in the garden. Why had he buried a diary? Well, as any writer would do, I guess, <laughs> at a time like that, he had kept a diary. And it seems that, well, certainly not the sort of thing you'd want to be found keeping. So of course, he had books, but those books were either taken away there were two parts. Well, when the Russians had come and searched the place, they'd... Yeah, they, they were looking for the books and they'd taken away the uh, what had Ukrainian symbolics on, on the cover, etc., etc. So they were looking for some dangerous literature mm. and they've taken it away. And then at some point before his final arrest and abduction, he clearly felt that this diary needed to be hidden and he told his father where it was and that it should be handed over to the Ukrainians if and when the village was liberated. So Victoria obviously kind of incredibly excited (laughs) was like well we've got to find this diary. The father couldn't find the diary and he was such a despair in his face He's uh, an old man, not not in good health, so he was, you know, breathing hard trying to dig out the diary. And he told Victoria, come back tomorrow. And she was impatient, as he would be under those circumstances, and so she said, give me the spade. And I just started also digging around and, and eventually saw it. And she found it buried not very deep, in a plastic bag, completely waterlogged. So, you know, she was aware that this was going to be quite a a valuable and precious item. You know, a writer who'd kept 
kept a diary of his of his life under occupation, a writer who completely disappeared off the face of the earth. What kinds of things had he written about in the diary? Well, at that point, it was very hard for her to see. Because, it's completely sodden. Because it was so wet. Yeah. What she did have was a copy of one of Volodymyr's poetry books that his father had given her, and she sort of realised that actually the thing to do was to put the manuscripts inside this book of poetry, allow Volodymyr's poetry book to absorb the moisture of the notebook, and, and that did the trick. Well, you've seen some of the excerpts of this diary, haven't you? Yes, and it's worth saying that the notebook is, in a sense, quite confused chronologically because it's written after the occupation, but it pulls together also impressions and memories from the few weeks prior to that. I mean, some of the most vivid parts of the notebook are describing, you know, he says in the diary, he couldn't quite believe this was true. I mean, (laughs) this whole sort of line of tanks and armoured vehicles stopped in the village and soon the soldiers began to take over empty houses, steal food and cars, loot the shop and so on. So he writes, Any talk about heroism, like stopping an armoured personnel carrier, that's for big cities. We're a small village where the number of patriotic people you could bring together was two, three people max. I'd known this for a long time, which is why I lived my life as a hermit. Vakulenko obviously had a feeling that he would could be arrested. He wrote in the diary, I knew that sooner or later they would turn me in and there were plenty of snitches. He was eventually taken away by the Russian forces and his family had to live for months not knowing where he'd gone. But why would they have targeted a children's author? What What was it about Vladimir that they might have been interested in or wanting to stamp out? Well, the thing about Vladimir Vakulenko was that he was very pro-Ukrainian. And that was well known in the village. And in the complexities of life in that particular region of eastern Ukraine, he he was slightly out on a limb for being so pro-Ukrainian, so patriotic. He wrote in Ukrainian. You know, he had some patriotic tattoos, having a kind of hairstyle that's in the sort of Cossack style. You know, it's quite a popular hairstyle in Ukraine, but that marks you out in a particular way. On one of his phones, the ringtone was an anthem, a popular Ukrainian anthem called Putin is a dickhead. You know, all of this, it wasn't a secret. He hated Putin. Finding Vladimir's diary was, I suppose significant for Victoria on two levels. Personally, this was someone she knew and she'd be reading about what turned out to be his final weeks and months. And then professionally, as a war crimes investigator, she's finding documentation of how the Russian forces had treated this person and their community. What did she tell you about what that experience was like to actually read his words? You know what, Hannah, she never really told me how it made her feel. One can only imagine that it was extraordinarily emotional for her and that she would have been full of fury as well. Mm. 
but I, I can only imagine the sort of turbulence of reading those words, the horror of it. At that point, she didn't know whether Volodymyr Vakulenko was dead or alive. You know, she said that she she was very struck by the last page, which is a passage about Volodymyr remembering the dreams that he'd had. And in this last entry, Volodymyr wrote about how his hope had sunk and then rallied a little bit. And then he wrote about looking up into the sky and seeing a flock of cranes flying overhead. And in his head, their cry was that Ukraine will be, will be well again. I believe in victory. How was it discovered that he died? Well, his family had obviously suspected that he had died, but at the same time, you know, there were lots of rumours about Ukrainians being held in prisons, so they weren't at all certain. And then soon after Izium was liberated by the Ukrainians, a mass grave just outside the town was exhumed. It's a scene that's become hauntingly familiar in Ukraine. The retrieval of bodies from makeshift graves. Officials say the mass burial site holds the remains of hundreds of civilians. This woodland on the edge of the city of Izium, a testament to the reality of Russia's war. And over 400 bodies were exhumed. Those people who died during the occupation either died, as it were, of natural causes or had died violently. At that point, Volodymyr's body did not seem to be among them. It was only rather later, in November, when some local journalists found a photograph of Volodymyr Vakulenko's body. It was clear, irreversibly clear, that Vakulenko had died. And he had, unfortunately, very sadly, been shot twice with a pistol, he had clearly been executed. And it was only some weeks after that when a DNA matching was made that his body was formally identified and then he was, he was reburied in, in a cemetery in Kharkiv in early December. Coming up, how can Vladimir and Victoria's writings help bring war criminals to justice? Charlotte, what's going to happen to Vladimir's diary now? Well, a few weeks ago at Kiev Book Arsenal, which is a big book festival in the capital of Ukraine, Victoria and others had presented an edition of Volodymyr Vakulenko's diary, along with some of his poems, which is now published in Ukraine. I would hope that it would find its way into other languages. Victoria and others have instituted a sort of day in his honour in his village, which 
this year was celebrated by an event in the lovely little local children's library, an, an event just about books and animals and fun for local children. And it was a happy day. I wanted it like this. Not by, you know, some uh, pathetic speeches uh, to make sure that the children in his native village are uh, happy and have connections, connection to book and writers again. So I think his flame will be kept very much alive. And it was only a week after Victoria made her presentation at that book fair that she herself was killed in a Russian airstrike. Could you just tell me what happened? Tuesday the 27th of June. Oddly enough, Hannah, it was the day I finished writing the article about Volodymyr Vakulenko and I sent her a sort of triumphant WhatsApp saying, finally, I've finished this. And I went out for a drink with the Guardian's Moscow correspondent and the Guardian's International Affairs editor to celebrate this moment. And while we were sitting in a bar, we got a message saying this pizzeria in Kramatorsk had been hit by a missile. It wasn't until much later that night that it uh, became clear that Victoria had been very badly injured in that attack. She had been there accompanying uh, a delegation of Colombian journalists and creatives who had come to visit the area, including Volodymyr Vakulenko's village. Then she died on the 1st of July from the very serious injuries she had uh, received in that attack. And she wasn't the only person injured in that attack, of course, either. Over 60 were injured and 13 were killed. Two of the dead were a pair of 14-year-old twin girls. Victoria's death leaves behind her husband and her son. How did it feel when you found out that she'd gone? Um... Well, this isn't about me, and the fact is that a lot of people were terribly, terribly devastated and furious, you know? Mm. I think for myself, because I'm a cultural journalist and I've sort of stumbled into writing about Ukraine, I hadn't really taken into consideration that I would become friends with somebody and then they would die. I mean, even though that makes no sense because it's a war, people die all the time. So I felt what a huge loss she was because, you know, her literary career was just beginning to really blossom. She had so many books to write. She was such an asset to Ukraine, actually, in all the work she was doing around uh, civil liberties, justice, war crimes... She was an excellent woman, and it, I felt absolutely distraught when I discovered that she died. You know, Victoria spent the last two years of her life gathering evidence in the hope that the Russian soldiers who've carried out war crimes and the Russian government will be held accountable for what they've done. How likely does it seem at the moment that that will happen and how might the specific things that she found contribute to that? Well, according to 
Victoria's friend and the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Alexandra Matvichuk, 41,000 war crimes have been documented so far in the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. It seems like a grotesque number and something that any judicial system would struggle to cope with. But there are hopes and moves towards setting up a special tribunal to prosecute the crime of aggression against Russia, which is being talked about at a governmental level and different ways of doing that are being discussed. So I think there are hopes that justice will come, but but justice won't come without people like Victoria gathering the evidence. And, and that's sort of where we are at the moment. Because I see all those real people and their stories have to be told. And yeah. there's justice in it. And I also, in fact, in my book, although I set, set out to write about those who document war crimes and advocate for justice, so it, it has to be a book about Ukrainian quest for justice, like civil society has to finally get justice, and, and because this is what we left here. Uh... And I know that at the time she died, she was working on a book called War and Justice Diary, Looking at Women, Looking at War. It's a non-fiction book in English. Is that still due to be published? I think there are hopes that that can be published, yes. I want to read it. She's written 50,000 words of it. She told me with lots of, you know, muscular arm emojis a few weeks ago. (laughs) So there is quite a lot of it. If the book is anything like Victoria, which I'm sure it will be, it will be a kind of calm, level-headed, forensic, beautifully written account of what it's been like on the ground and the work that extraordinary women have been doing and will continue to do towards justice and civil liberties against war crimes in Ukraine. And it would be great if it could see the light of day. Charlotte, thank you so much. Thank you, Hannah. I wish I hadn't had to talk about Victoria like this, but I'm glad to have done so in a way. (laughs) That was Charlotte Higgins. She's written a beautiful article about Victoria and Vladimir, which you can read at theguardian.com. It's called A Murdered Writer, His Secret Diary of the Invasion of Ukraine, and the war crimes investigator determined to find it. I'm Hannah Moore, and this episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Solomon King, and the executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 